This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a great day on this Friday. Things looking much more optimistic now in the central Newfoundland area. That's very good news. Hopefully, uh, firefighters can get the upper hand there and things start to look even better through the course of the weekend. Uh, By the way, kudos to all the many, many people who have been involved in the front lines uh, fighting those fires. Absolutely I don't know how you could describe it, catastrophic uh, earlier in the week, just a few days ago, but uh, things have improved significantly, so fingers crossed. Uh, The very many people who have been working on those fires will be be able to get some uh, much-needed respite in the not-too-distant future. Well, many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are very proud of their strong cultural connections to Ireland. It's another island, of course, in the North Atlantic, just that away. Unlike the United States and some parts of the English-speaking world, Irish settlement in this province largely predates the Great Potato Famine of the 1840s. It actually goes back to the 1700s and is linked to the province's long historic involvement in the migratory fishery. Well, later this month, August 26th, To be precise, the Mannion Project, a living document compiling shipping and merchant records, will be officially launched in Torbay as part of the town's three-day land and sea festival. Dr. John and Maura Mannion have been dedicating their life's work to recording and digitizing some of those important historic records. Well, my guests today are heavily involved in the project. They include... Dr. Sean Cadigan, a project advisor and professor at Memorial University's Department of History. Hello, Sean. Hello. And Dr. John Mannion himself. Hello. Hello. Well, Dr. Mannion, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I come from Ireland. I came to uh, Canada in 1965 to the University of Toronto to do my PhD. And that brought me uh, to Newfoundland. I was studying the the Irish in eastern Canada and uh, arrived in Newfoundland and with Maura, my wife, in 1967 and began our work, uh, which was on mainly on the 19th century. And that involved uh, tracing the family trees of uh, all people resident uh, of Irish birth and descent um, on the island. Uh, at that time, so it led me on to uh, to begin with, with to Logie Bay, Outer Cove, and Middle Cove, which are solidly Irish um, in in origin, as, as Sean Cadigan will tell you, and uh, began at that time in '67 uh, compiling family trees, and the work has continued from that time to the present. Amazing. Uh, so you've been at this for. 50 plus years so what have you learned yes how do the irish of of eastern canada newfoundland particularly differ from those in say boston or new york with their large irish populations well uh in some ways not at all the the irish in boston uh is essentially an extension of the uh, ireland to newfoundland migration the 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 irish and newfoundland come from a very uh uh restricted spatially part of Ireland. It's the southeast of Ireland, Waterford City, 
and about 30 kilometers around it is the, the homeland for the vast majority of immigrants from Ireland to Newfoundland. And that uh, migration, which goes way back to um, the beginnings of the 18th century, the 1715 or thereabouts, and continued right through the 18th century and well into the 19th, that um, eventually extended west so that the Irish coming to Newfoundland uh, went on to Cape Breton, especially, and to Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia, and then on to Boston. Uh, so it's an extension. In fact, there are a lot of um, Newfoundlanders, as you would know, of, of uh, Irish descent uh, settling settling in, in Boston and New England. So it was a, a migration out of the southeast Ireland to Newfoundland, on to the Maritimes, especially Nova Scotia, and on to New England, especially Boston. What brought them here? Well, that's a, a complex story. Uh, mainly uh, seeking opportunities to, to improve their economic lot. It, was, uh, it wasn't poverty as such, but rather to find a, a better economy, a better livelihood. And the fishery, of course, is the, the mainstay. It was the fishery that uh, brought them here out of Ireland. And uh, it's closely connected to the west country of England, to uh, Devon and Dorset in the southwest of England, and the English cod fishery, which goes back to the 16th century. And uh, the English ships and ship owners and sea captains would leave ports like Poole and Dorset. There was a, an article today in the Telegram on Poole. And, uh, and from Dartmouth in, De in South Devon and Tenmouth, they would call into, into Waterford, which was um, close, close to across the Irish Sea, uh, to collect especially salt provisions, salt pork, beef, butter, bread, etc., to feed, to victual the fishermen, because Newfoundland could not produce food such as meat and so forth. And also, in doing that, the West Country sea captains would, uh, would recruit young men in Waterford and its hinterland, uh, in South West Wexford and Carlow and South Kilkenny and South East Tipperary and all of County Waterford, even Cork, for the fishery. So that's it. It began way back in of 1720 or thereabouts, and grew each year, each decade through the whole 19th century. It was a migratory fishery. Most of these people, there were up, up to 5,000 men, would embark at Waterford in the 1770s. And, uh, but most of them went home. It was a seasonal fishery, and they just came, fished for the summer, and went back home to Waterford in the fall. Gradually, uh, some began to stay. Women began to come, after 1800 especially, and permanent settlement was established. Uh, Dr. Cadigan, I want you to bring, into this, uh, bring you into this conversation now, because as Dr. Mannion just pointed out, um, the, the history of early settlement in Newfoundland and Labrador is, is largely shrouded in a lot of mystery. There are few formal attempts at colonization. You can think about uh, John Kai's Cupid's Colony and Lord Baltimore in, in Fairland. But by and large, settlement was largely discouraged, as far as I understand, and that meant people often went unrecorded. So many people were working who work on their family histories and family trees are often focused on that first person who came over. But those records are not largely available are they? Uh, well, uh, there are records, but they're not easily available to most people. Uh, and that's the, the great advantage 
of the work that uh, John did in partnership with uh, his wife, Maura Mannion, is that they have brought together uh, a vast amount of material that would otherwise take, you know, as you pointed out earlier, uh, they've been working on this for, for about 50 years. Well, you can imagine any individual trying to apply themselves for such a long period of time to finding out something about their own family history. Uh, well, uh, oh, the, the uh, index cards that uh, the Mannions established, and, you know, it's, it's staggering, about 160,000 uh, index cards uh, over that 50-year period assembles data from all kinds of places, church records, various types of government records, uh, oral history interviews, court records. It's all been sort of assembled systematically into these kind of linked index cards that allow people to explore uh, the, uh, uh, the, their family uh, uh, history insofar as related to the Irish uh, coming to Newfoundland and Labrador. And just to be really uh, clear, it's by and large about the Irish who come to Newfoundland and Labrador, but there were so many connections between, of course, those Irish immigrants and people from other uh, uh, origins in Newfoundland and Labrador that the database itself that John Amora has have established uh, contains information on a wide variety of peoples uh, if they had a connection to the Irish who are documented uh, in in the database. And I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, Mannion Project and and how all that work was compiled when we come back after the break. My guests today, <clears throat> excuse me, are Dr. Sean Cadigan and Dr. Mannion himself. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. My guests today are uh, involved in the Mannion Project. Dr. Sean Cadigan is a project advisor and professor at Memorial University's Department of History. And we have Dr. Mannion himself, who with his wife, Maura, have uh, dedicated their life's work to compiling and uh, digitizing the uh, many, many records uh, related to Irish migration to Newfoundland and Labrador through youngsters and the like. So, um, Dr. Mannion, I wanted to talk to you about how you managed to compile this and, and put these together together in in index cards and the like because I'm familiar with the Keith Matthew files and unless you um, know what his uh, methodology was in that it's almost impossible to decipher and sometimes they're on those little strips of paper and all the like so how did you go about it? Yes, I knew Keith Matthews very well, and what Keith was doing back in the 1960s, uh, I did for the English. His focus was on the uh, the West Country English in Newfoundland. I focused on the Irish. The same methodology as Keith, uh, going to any any source that would tell me. Uh, initially, our, our interest was the where do they come from? The the immigrants, the Irish in Newfoundland. From, uh, where do they come from? So we wanted to pinpoint. Insofar as we could, uh, their place of origin in Ireland. We ended up with uh, 7,500 immigrants identified by place of origin. By place of origin, I mean a, pa- a town or a parish or a townland or even a county in Ireland. Thus, County Wexford, County Kilkenny, Tipperary, etc., as I've mentioned. And then within that, uh, it could be Innisfee in Kilkenny or Tremor in County Waterford or Kilcash in County Tipperary. Uh, so we, it, 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 it took a lifetime of work, 
We we began in nineteen in detail in nineteen seventy three. I've mentioned my field work in Outer Cove, Middle Cove, Logie Bay. That was very focused and the Cape Shore of Newfoundland in nineteen sixty seven and sixty eight. But um when when we came back to uh, Newfoundland from Toronto in 69 I began my teaching career at Memorial uh, we broadened our our um, focus and looked at um, every document and every possible source that would inform us on the, the place of origin in Ireland of these immigrants that was how we began and I was lucky to have at that time um, I got secured funds uh, from uh, Memorial and from ISER and hired Howard Brown, the late Howard Brown uh, of Tax Beach in Placentia Bay, who was a geography student and worked with me for four months and did wonderful work uh, on the Basilica Parish Register, that is the Basilica of St. John's, where uh, the marriages uh, from 1802 onwards would give you, if, if they came from Ireland, their, their parish of origin. So we copied that, and Howard copied the entire collection from the Basilica in 1973, and from that we drew a map. And that map has been our guide ever since, showing where in the within each county in Ireland they they came from. And that fo was followed then with work with students, as I taught undergraduate courses, and I did built, built around genealogy and geography. And uh, so students would also work and would also go out and interview and do their family histories uh, and talk to. Their, their grandparents, perhaps, and in that sense, got to learn about their own roots. So that's how it was assembled. Invaluable work, no doubt. So I guess the Basilica was the, the, the launching point, I suppose, the jumping-off yes. point. So what what other sort of records did you well, scour beyond, looking beyond for material? the parish registers of Basilica, which begins in 1802 and continues right through to 1860, 1870. Uh, we went to the other par early parish registers. Harbour Grace began in 1806 and continued from that that date. Kings Cove and Bonavista Bay began in 1815, and so on. Placentia, uh, Ferryland, all the places. The, the Irish were focused very much in a, a strip of shore from Renews to Carboneer. 75% of all Irish uh, settled in harbours between Renews up to Carboneer, with St. John's being the, the pivotal point. So we, it was it's piecemeal. You, you go, we went to newspapers. We read all the newspapers in St. John's from 1810 onwards, and often you get obituaries uh, where they tell you where the person deceased was born in Ireland, uh, and we would copy that and put it on a, an eight by a five by eight card and and so on will registry of wills and i could go on forever in terms of the sources are are, are many were there any sources that uh, turned out to be a surprise to you uh, in other words you weren't well, expecting to get as much information as you managed to do so yeah, well, the, the, register, the parish registers obviously were were superb, um, the, the ones that I've mentioned. But also the registry of wills, which is now online. Uh, you you get uh, a man dies or a woman dies, and they uh, they give their their parish of origin for whatever reason uh, in Ireland, and they would then go on to. Um, you know, you would recall that. Incidentally, it's not just immigrants. Uh, I mentioned in the introduction to the Mannion Collection and in the, in the preface to it 
that uh, 7,600 or so immigrants by, identified by parish, but four to five times that number uh, recorded, not identified by parish. They're immigrants, all right. They're from Ireland, but we don't know which county, which parish. So the, the bulk of the, of the collection in terms of immigrants, uh, we don't have a, a particular place of origin, only that they're from Ireland. Were there any kind of barriers to getting, as you say, there's a huge number of people that you couldn't identify their their parish or where they came from, but what were some of the barriers to that? They simply weren't recorded or, or the not records recorded. were lost? Yeah, simply not recorded. Sometimes with some of these immigrants, we have probably about 40,000 Irish immigrants in all, the total migration. And uh, of these 7,600 identified by place, the others not, not identified except from Ireland. We worked on surnames. We, we know the Irish surnames and the English surnames, so we worked off surnames, Murphy and Dunn and so forth, and we would record them. But, they, they, you know, very often they simply didn't record their place of origin, uh, but they would record their place of residence in Newfoundland so that we have from the outports superb records on each and every outport uh, where they settled. And you can go into the Manning Collection and click on Harbour, Maine, or Holyrood, or Ferryland, and you'll get a printout of every person in those that particular community assembled together. You can just read the whole thing down, just as you can type in uh, Murphy or Cadigan or whatever and get all the Cadigans and all the, the Murphys, etc. and uh, they're assembled together. That's the beauty of the, the computer. They can sort. It's searchable. The data are searchable. So you can, you can check by place and by person. Uh, was most of the information that you garnered uh, on this side of the ocean, or did you manage to get some in Ireland as well, and how did you do so? That's a good question. Uh, most here, yes, no no question, it's it's a Newfoundland, Newfoundland sources. Uh, and from that, we would go back when we got a, a parish of, of, our, of origin or a place like Waterford City, which was huge, for uh, a huge source, the city of Waterford, for, uh, for immigrants and migrants. And we would then begin to research back in Ireland uh, the sources. We'd go to parish by parish, and there would be 300 or 400 parishes in the southeast of Ireland. We'd simply go for local histories, uh, track names, and just keep... Just like if you're searching your family tree and your roots and you want to find out where you came from in England or Ireland and you just proceed with whatever sources are, are, are there on, on your surname or, or whatever, or your community. Um, Sean, what, what is the Irish government's interest in all of this? Right. Well, the Irish government had uh, recognized for some time the significance of what uh, uh, the Manions had achieved. It's an unparalleled source of evidence about the Irish diaspora generally in the North Atlantic. Uh, and uh, so um, uh, I had previously been engaged in a research partnership with the Newfoundland and Labrador Statistics Agency to build historical databases based on the uh, Canadian and Newfoundland censuses. Uh, and uh, we were approached uh, by uh, uh, representatives from uh, something called the Immigrant Support Program that's, off- that's offered by the uh, Irish government. It has a kind of heritage uh, sub-program to-, to ask if we would consider uh, applying for support uh, to, uh, to uh, engage in a similar project with the Mannion records. So, uh, so in effect... 
the Irish government, through its immigrant support program, uh, invested over three years uh, in the development of the, the types of databases that John just mentioned that uh, took uh, access from from you know somebody having to approach the Manions uh, with a query where they would have to look it up uh, you know physically on the cards uh, in in their uh, in their uh, collection uh, to a point at which it's now available in digitized images and searchable uh, databases on the web for anybody to access directly themselves. So the Irish government was absolutely through its immigrant support program pivotal uh, in, in in making that happen through their uh, uh, research grant investments, and uh, it, re- it it's I think it signifies uh, just how important they understand uh, what the Manions have done for understanding the role of the Irish in the North Atlantic generally. My guests today on On Target are Dr. John Mannion, who, uh, along with his wife, Maura, have put together this incredible um, amount of information on Irish immigration to Newfoundland, and Dr. Sean Cadigan, Project Advisor and Professor at Memorial University's Department of History. We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we are talking about the Mannion Project. It's a, a compilation of the names and home parishes of Irish immigrants to Newfoundland dating back for nearly 300 years. And it's a, a project by uh, John and Maura Mannion, who've been working on this for more than 50 years. And my guests today are John Mannion and uh, Dr. Sean Cadigan of Memorial University. So I wanted to ask you, Dr. Mannion, about the young women, because I attended a, a, a lecture one time by David Pike, who was talking about some of the very earliest days of the migratory fishery. And he said, some young women did come over in those very early days, many of them from Ireland, but they're nameless and faceless. (laughs) It is true. Uh, First of all, there weren't many of them until after 1800. Uh, The ratio of men to women in the 18th century before 1800 would be on the region of of 10 to 1. And uh, so women female migration was very rare and there was no child migration at all there were no children it wasn't a family migration uh, for to the fishery be it from the west country of england or from the southeast of ireland so women yes came uh, in numbers uh, after about 1800 but you could put it back to about 1775 and uh and when they did, of course, they came as, as young women, and uh, sometimes they came to, to boyfriends from their own uh, townland or, or parish and married here. And, of course, that's, then you get natural increase. You get permanent settlement with women and uh, family, and that, uh, that's what created the, the, the Irish presence in Newfoundland in the 19th and 20th century. So the, the women were obviously central. Uh, without them, you wouldn't have permanent settlement. And, they, uh, and, and Mr. Pike is right that, that they're poorly recorded uh, because, uh, partly because women were not seen to be involved in the, in the commercial economy of the cod fishery. In other words, women did not fish. And that's uh, the, the, the people recording, the government and others, recording people in Newfoundland in the 18th century 
would record uh, the people involved in the commercial economy, the fishermen, so that women are poorly recorded anyway. There were very few of them, and uh, and with that poorly recorded. But after 1800, the marriages I mentioned uh, for St. John's after 1802, Harbour Greece after 1806, King's Cove and Bonavista Bay after 1815, well, of course, they're marriages, so the women are there. And uh, in those early days, there would be immigrants uh, marrying um, Newfoundland Irish men, probably immigrants, and, uh, and created families, and the rest is history. How were they recorded by the churches? Because I know a lot of people who do family histories were, are oftentimes aggravated by the fact that, you know, uh, you know, John Smith married Mary. <laughs> and that's all you know. And sometimes people who have done a lot of research will say, I know I'm connected to that family, but is it through Mary or is it through uh, Anne? I haven't found that uh, in the sense that uh, if it's a marriage, they will give the maiden name, the birth name of the of the woman, of the of the wife, and uh, often her her place of of origin, uh, where you would get just the, the 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 first name only might be in a will where a man dies and he's leaving his estate to his wife and it would say Mary and it wouldn't give her birth name for sure uh, so you, you you lose out with the women on the, on that front and I can think of other examples of types of sources that would only give the first name of the woman and uh, as opposed to men who are who would get their full name recorded so, Sean, tell us a little bit now about the Cadigans. Right. Well, <laughs> the uh, uh, as as John mentioned, uh, uh, most of the uh, Irish migration uh, wasn't by families, but rather by individuals. Uh, but as as uh, I understand from the from what the work that John's done uh, in my. In my family's case, there's a bit of an exception in that the first uh, recorded uh, Cadigan in my sort of direct line back uh, was a, a person named Coleman, and he, in fact, came with his family. Uh, I don't really know why, but uh, but they came and settled uh, 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 in uh, eventually in, in the, the Logie Bay area. Uh, and so Cadigans have been here uh, since the uh, uh, 18th century. And it's a famous, well-known name in uh, Logie Bay, as we all know. Um, do you find uh, that the, you, you talked about people coming over as individuals, and in your case, there was a rare case of, of a family coming over, but do you find sometimes that, uh, you know, it was a, a father and son who might have been working together, or, or two brothers or two cousins, and sometimes it's hard to sort them out? Uh, well, um I mean, really, it's difficult to know uh, uh, what those kind of mechanisms are. Uh, I think that uh, that most of the, I mean, the, the sort of area uh, that the, the Irish came from, most people would have been looking, as John outlined, looking for work, right? They would have been looking to improve their, their uh, economic circumstances, uh, and they would have uh, taken service. Uh, in the fishery through a uh, uh, a local ship owner or merchant, uh, and so uh, there would have been all kinds of connections to that that merchant firm that would have brought them uh, uh, to different parts of Newfoundland. Uh, and uh, uh, but but uh, 
so it would have been largely those decisions by individuals uh, uh, to come uh, and seek service with an employer in the fishery. That that would have been the most important uh, uh, connection. Then it's a huge question: Did they come alone, with with no connection, no ken, uh, no relatives, uh, young men, uh, or had they connections through family? And we'll never know for sure. They will never quantify that. But we have loads of examples of men who came and they're kenless. We don't have any record of any other person related to them uh, uh, until they married here. But then we also have examples of young men and women coming, and they already had some connection, family connection here. And they would come to an uncle or an aunt or a brother uh, and uh, join up. So you have a kind of chain migration of Ken. Uh, it's not huge. It doesn't. Uh, it, it never extended very far. But so you have two two narratives there. You have two stories: individual, footloose, um, uh, independent, and alone, and then Ken-based with some connection. And uh, as, as Sean said, the, the Cadigan story, and it is relatively uh, singular, uh, but they they married, Coleman Cadigan, married in the parish of Cloyne in County Cork, near Cork City, and he and his wife and two children are recorded in the Cloyne parish registers before 1810 or 1815 and then they turn up in Logie Bay and more children are born in Logie Bay. So there's an example, a classic example of family immigration which dominated the migrant streams into Boston and into into Quebec and so forth, or be they Irish or any other group, Scots, etc. So Newfoundland, there are two stories, there are two, two narratives involved. Yep. The other thing about uh, my family uh, is that uh, while they fished uh, from Logie Bay, uh, originally the Cadigans didn't settle uh, in Logie Bay. Uh, so, so my grandfather, whose name was Thomas, was one of the informants for some of John's research uh, from Cadigans Road. And my father, was his son was Thomas as well uh, from Cadigans Road. Uh, and my early life was on Cadigan's Road, and, and uh, eventually we moved from there. But the family actually started farming just outside St. John's in the White Hills and eventually moved on uh, into Logie Bay. And it's that farming, you know, to, to move here to farm would have been a little different than what a lot of the Irish were coming to do, which was, in effect, to fish. And the farming grew as an adjunct to the fishery as households became established, and they engaged in a kind of supplementary farming to support what they were doing in the fishery. Uh, but I think my family's experience was always a little bit in the reverse, where uh, primarily they were interested in farming. So, John, you're providing the information, and it's up to, I suppose, the person in, interested in this information to sort it all out. But it's not always easy. I I can think of five John Murphys I happen to know <laughs> myself right now. And when you look at the names like Bridget Power and <laughs> and the like, uh, you, you might see dozens and dozens of them all born roughly around the same time. Is it difficult to sort some of these individuals out? Very difficult. Uh, my favorite example of, of the same name of, of several men uh, is um, John O'Brien. I live on the O'Brien farm where Ali O'Brien lived 
and uh, his great-grandfather was John O'Brien, born in Kilkenny in 1791, arrived here about 1810, came up to Oxenpond Road in 1818 and started clearing land, married in 1823, Mary Darcy. They had three sons and three daughters born between 1825 and 1835 here on the farm where I am right now. Uh, okay, we, uh, I was once asked to do a Dictionary of Canadian Biography publication of an article on John O'Brien, the immigrant. So I took it on, uh, living here and with Ali and so forth, and we did as much as we could. But as I got into it, and, and Mora, we got into the, the archives and the, down in the old colonial building. We discovered there were not, no fewer than five John O'Briens, all married, all having children in the 1820s. So sorting them out, let's say you have a writ, and it's a writ versus John O'Brien versus somebody or somebody versus John O'Brien, and that's it. It's a court, a court case. You don't know which of the five. You, we'll never know. So you have to consider that it could be any one of five, and there's no way through that particular tangle. So you're right. It's a, it's a problem. With, with the, the good news on Irish surnames is there are so many of them. There were over uh, a thousand. There are over a thousand, one thousand two hundred different surnames of Irish ancestry. In, in Newfoundland, and Walsh would be one, and Power another, and Murphy another, and that would be three. So there's a huge diversity of surnames from the southeast. Part of the reason being that the southeast of Ireland, Waterford and Wexford and Kilkenny, were was colonised by the by the Gaels, the Celtic peoples who were dominant, like Murphy, uh, and by the Norse and by uh, the Norse or Vikings, and by the Anglo-Normans. Uh, a third of the Irish names here are of Anglo-Norman origin. That is the 12th century. Power and then for the one, New yeah. English who came in the 17th century. So you get a huge diversity of surname, and that's of great help. You get rare names. And the other ones that really, the, the delight of the family tree hunter is, is the name rare. Not Murphy, not Power, not Walsh, but a name that is is rare, like maybe Cadigan. And in that sense, you go after this name, and it's very, very rare. It's found only in two or three parishes in South Kilkenny, and you're off to the races. You, 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 will, trace, you will successfully trace the ancestry. So, so rare, rare surnames out of Ireland is, is the best news you could get as a family tree person. And rare first names, Coleman Cadigan, well, he hit the jackpot there. <laughs> yeah, well, Coleman, yes. And Coleman, of course, uh, as I tell Sean and I tell the other Cadigans, is, is a very historic. It's, uh, it's in Cloyne, County Cork, which is the uh, diocesan centre for all of County Cork. And uh, the saint, the 6th century saint who founded the diocese is Coleman, C-O-L-M-A-N. So I tell the Cadigans that they have these historic associations with Ireland in the 6th century. <laughs> just amazing, just amazing. And I know there's been a lot of work done on the power name, which goes back centuries, oh. like you say, to the Norman Conquest. Yes, power is second. After Walsh or Welsh is first at South Kilkenny, uh, we've mapped them. And we have 275 Welshes by place of origin and something like 250 powers by parish of origin. And they are almost entirely from County Waterford. You, you don't find them much elsewhere in Wexford or Kilkenny or Tipperary and, and so on. We, we, we have mapped 
most of the big surnames. We've mapped them. And uh, so it's a help for anybody with those surnames beginning their research. Amazing stuff. My guests today on on Target are Dr. Sean Cadigan and Dr. John Mannion, and you're launching uh, the Mannion Project in Torbay in another week or so. I want to talk a little bit about that when we come back right after the break. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're talking about the Mannion Project, which has documented uh, the very early um, settlers to Newfoundland and Labrador who came here from Ireland. And an official launch of the Mannion Project is taking place in Torbay on August 26th. Sean, what can you tell us about that? Right. Uh, well, uh, uh, we've been really lucky to have had a lot of support in the past from the provincial government, but now the town of Torbay, through its uh, history house and museum, uh, stepped forward to offer to host uh, the, the the Mannion Collection uh, database to do the web hosting for it. Uh, and so um, uh, that will be the site for a, a launch of the, the Mannion Collection. And this is a launch that will uh, be followed later, uh, early in September, by a, uh, another launch in Ireland uh, on that side of the Atlantic of, of the, the same uh, project. Uh, so it's it's uh, 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 simply going to be a, a, a uh, an opportunity to uh, to really uh, let the public know uh, about what uh, we've been doing with uh, the Mannion Collection. And Dr. Mannion, you're uh, launching uh, your uh, latest book as well during that weekend. Yes, yes, uh, a coincidence, I suppose, but a book on Waterford City and Newfoundland in the 18th century. It's very focused in time uh, and based around the uh, account of a single merchant uh, ship owner in Waterford called Walter Butler, who, with his ship and his men, came to Newfoundland in 1751, 52, 54, and 55, and his account book and letter book survives. And we got this from London from Q, the public record office, and I based the book uh, around the ledger, which is about 100 folio pages or pages, and uh, just fantastic information on. It's really about everyday economic exchanges between Walter Butler and his suppliers in Waterford who would give him merchants and others, artisans, who would give him pork, beef, butter, bread beer, etc., for Newfoundland, and then he would he would recount the men he hired, his sailors, he would have six to twelve men aboard uh, his ship, and then it would give an account of when he comes to Newfoundland, to Placentia and Trapassi and Ferryland and Babels, St. John's, Harbour Grace, he would um, uh, recount uh, he would sell his some of his produce, some of his provisions to for fish, and he would give it a good account of who uh, who he dealt with in terms of of this exchange between uh, Irish salt provisions and codfish, and he would give you the prices and so forth. He'd give you the the wages of people as his own men and others, and so it's a huge. Uh, a huge source, but it's economic history more than social or cultural history. Uh, but does give you that all-important context, I suppose, of, of the lives that these people lived. Um, now, I mean, you've dedicated your life, yourself and Nora have de- dedicated your lives to this work, but I'm told it's being called a living document. Are, are you hoping that someone will pick up the torch? Yes, well, we are, and this is... Uh Hence Torbay and the History House and the work ahead 
with uh, with this collection and developing it further, and we hope to to. Uh, uh, try and, and uh, recruit young young scholars to you know get them interested enough to to continue with the work. So it's it's online. There's a big a big basis for anybody who wants to research it. But there's an awful lot of of questions that have one can raise that have have not yet been written up or uh, about. I mean, I have far more questions about my work than I have written down in, in terms of answers. So we're hoping that there will be an interest, that it will generate an interest, not just in family tree hunting, but in social and economic research of migration and settlement in Newfoundland, and, and not to forget the English, of course, who, who uh, paralleled story from the West Country, who settled here. As you say, the Keith Matthews collection is a, was a major, th- uh, major source for beginning to study them. So we're always hopeful. I know that history is, is so much... Um, in trouble nowadays with um, whatever all the the newfangled stuff, but but we're we're hopeful that uh, that young young Newfoundlanders especially will become interested in their roots in Ireland and England and will will follow up. And it's all available online, or a, a large part of it is manioncollection.ca. That's right. Uh, Let's type that in, and you're. You're off. Off to the races, so to speak. Yeah. Or your your work has just begun. thousand names or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Mannion, it has been an honor and a pleasure speaking with you this afternoon. I really appreciate your time. Sean Cadigan, thank you very much. I'm No doubt there's going to be a lot of people out in Torbay on August 26th to take part in this uh, official launch, part of the Land and Sea Festival three-day event, Be There, Be Square. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back. Well, uh, Richard Duggan, I think, is going to be doing the show on Monday. I'm off next week again for a week's vacation. Uh, So I'll be back the week following, but stay tuned next week. I know uh, Richard's got a few uh, really interesting uh, irons in the fire for you for next week. Stay tuned for that. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks very much.